Hosanna, a fellowship with Christians. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And for all of, the, all of you joining us via live stream, we welcome you. I want to make you aware, especially those of you who are, who are tuning in from home, that at the end of the service, we are going to be celebrating communion together. So if you want to go ahead and get your elements together, go to the fridge or whatever, uh, go to the kitchen, uh, get some bread and juice. We would love to have you join us uh, from wherever you are. All right? Um, don't we all love the story of Lazarus, right? I mean, a man who had been dead for four days, lying in a tomb, and uh, that's when Jesus infamously declares that he is the resurrection and the life, and anybody who believes in him, in him will live, though they die. And Jesus calls out to Lazarus. He calls him by name. He says, Lazarus, come out. He calls us by name. He doesn't say, hey, you, hey, buddy. He knows your name. He calls us by name, and he says, rise up, come out and live. We love that story. And I can imagine what Lazarus must have felt. He probably wanted to get up and stand up and just run out and just celebrate this, this new life. <clears throat> but of course, he had those grave clothes on that were hindering him. But I can imagine how he just wanted to run. And, um, and so let's let our worship, you know, run uh, this morning because we've been raised up by the resurrection and the life. I'm going to ask you to raise up if you're willing and you're able to. Let's stand up for this first song.
seat.
pretty much leaves me speechless. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are beyond your ways. And my thoughts are beyond your thoughts. Richard Rohr says, When we presume we know fully, we can all be very arrogant and goal-oriented at the expense of other people. When we know we don't know fully, we are much more concerned about practical, loving behavior. Those who know God are always humble. Those who don't are invariably far too sure of themselves, which is different than grace-filled self-confidence. When we speak of God and things transcendent, all we can do is use metaphors and pointers. No language is adequate to describe the holy. As in the familiar portrait of St. John of the Cross, we must place a, place a hushing finger over our lips to remind ourselves that God is finally unspeakable and ineffable. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. I'm going to share with you one more thing. My favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes, and I've shared this here before. You'll never sound more like Jesus than when your mouth is shut. So let's take a minute to think of God in heaven on his throne. Think of us here on earth. Think of him in his glory, in his power, in his might. Transcendent. Beyond anything we see or know here. Let's just take a moment to think on that in silence.
think we're going to be able to find many other words when we're in his presence. Um, I was at a, a Christian camp when I was a teenager, and there was one night where the presence of God just came down on the entire camp. A bunch of teenagers, 100 teenagers, just gathering outside, and all we could say, literally, was hallelujah. Nobody could say anything else. We were just looking at each other, bewildered and perplexed, really, to be honest. We were just teenagers. We didn't know, we'd never experienced anything like this, but all, that's, that's all we could say. It's hallelujah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think there's, there's going to be something like that um, when we're face to face. And maybe we won't even be able to get those words out. I don't know. But it's going to be glorious, isn't it? It's going to be good. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. One of these years, Jeff is not going to bounce around this room like Tigger, but I, I, I think it'll be like another 50 years or so. Uh, thank you, worship team. My goodness. Um, probably, yeah. Um, thank you, God. You know, but um, two of my the favorite songs, of all the worship songs that this team has done over the years that I've been here, 15 years, Today, two of them are, two of my two favorites are, um, are being sung, and I just, one was Homage, that was one of the first songs that I remember Sean writing when I was uh, new here, and it just, it still grabs me. The other one we'll close with today, so uh, thank you for um, at least touching my soul in that way. Well, another thing that I encountered when I first got here, a phrase that I encountered when I first started Hosanna was, every member a minister. Now, we still use that one. Maybe you ought to use it often. It's one of the primary distinctions between what we try to do here and how people often understand church. Uh, we're all ministers. We're all staff. Uh, we're all congregation. We're all in this together, and all of us are needed with our own gifts and passions and perspectives. And I could go on on that for some time, but there is a reason here, because I get asked this from time to time. There's a reason that those of us on staff go by first name and why our names are not in the bulletin and our titles are not a big deal. It's just, we are all in this together. We're, um, some of us just have these particular unique roles and others have other ways that they do it. But um, we really try to uh, tear down that distinction. And maybe no role in our body illustrates this better than our elders. Elders are chosen from among the congregation to serve the congregation. They're chosen at large on the basis of spiritual and relational maturity and a passion for caring for others like Christ does. We don't choose elders and ask them to start doing eldering things. We choose elders who are already doing those things. 
And then we honor that gift and passion in them by asking them to do it on our behalf as the voice in the arms of Christ. So what do elders do? They visit in the hospitals and homes. They check up on those who are missing or sick or in distress. They give spiritual counsel. They even perform weddings and funerals on occasion. And they pray. Those prayer requests that you fill out get emailed to elders and staff unless you tell us not to. And we take them seriously. And that care equips you to do your own ministry in the world, whatever that is, with confidence and courage. So we've been blessed, very, very blessed with the elders God has given us over the years. They rotate on and off, so there's some continuity, but there's also some fresh energy and perspective from time to time. We don't specify how many elders there should be, but the size of the group fluctuates according to needs and availability. And I say all that to tell you today that we have a new elder to introduce to you. Joyce Freimeyer is simply a delight to know. Anybody want to disagree with that right now? <laughs> I'm safe of that one. She just uses the love of God, and she does it in such a humble way that she doesn't call attention to herself. So if there's something going on around her, Joyce is somewhere in the background usually, taking care of things, helping out, looking after people, usually with her magical husband, Kevin, by her side. <laughs> They've been part of this congregation for a long time. We honor them. We love them deeply. You do too. When her name was put forth as a potential elder, you affirmed her. Joanne and I affirmed her. The other elders affirmed her. And so did the Spirit of God in Joyce. She said, yes. So Joyce, would you please come forward? And we're going to have others up here joining you, so you're not going to be standing up here alone with me. <laughs> Thank you. for. So let's introduce the other elders to you um, so that we try to do this once a year so you know who it is that is doing this and... Um, and uh, can lean on them when you need to and thank, the, thank uh, them when you need to. First, Rick McKinney has a special role with the elders. He's been one for a long time. He's been on staff. He's been a member of the congregation since 1943. Uh, <laughs> I, I just only a little. Few people have given more care to us than Rick and Beth. And we just so much enjoy his wisdom and the messages he brings us on occasion. And in all sorts of private, encouraging conversations, which I know many of you have enjoyed as well. So uh, Rick has a special role in um, keeping the, the, the good deeds of the elders well-coordinated and communicated. So we're grateful for him. Our co-lead elders this year are Julie Lead and Lauren Nafsiker, both of whom are with us. So if the two of you would come up here and join us. The elders rotate leadership as well as members. And the elders have chosen to mirror together with Joanne and I do a senior pastor. So they have a man and a woman leading together. Our other continuing elders this year are Kevin Swigert, who is with us, and April Audie. April is not with us in the building this morning, but is live streaming. Hi, April. And she sent us a picture. And uh, if you don't know who April is, and hopefully all of you online, you can see these faces. Julie, if you would stand just inside that's Yeah, they can see you though. Inside, if we're inside the, um, yeah, come on in. We're going to bunch up and uh, we'll keep our mask on and we'll do, do, treat each other well here. And Deb, could you join us? Too. Deb is our pastor of Congregational Life. As you know, she's the one on staff who works most closely with the elders 
and Joanne and I are very, very grateful for all the care that she gives and the way she coordinates with them. Joanne and I are, by virtue of our roles, ex officio elders. And yes, we do our share of pastoral care, but the majority of this falls to, to these folks here. And Joanne, by the way, was out of state last weekend for a family funeral, so she's quarantining at home today, which is why she's not up here with us. But it's the 21st century, and we got the technology. We're going to see and hear her live for the message. So she's with us. Okay. Let's... Yeah, if all goes well. We got like three different pieces of software working this morning and trying to make all this work. But anyway, wonderful group of people. I want to belabor the point. We're just so grateful for their ministry. And we want to pray a prayer of commissioning and blessing upon them this morning. So Rick is going to uh, lead us in that. And then uh, I'll close. And the rest of you pray along. And then and whenever you have an alpha, a chance, uh, encourage these good folks. Father, we're so grateful grateful for the love that you have for us and the love that comes through us to each other. You've made us a family and we're thankful for that. And Lord, you give us the opportunity to be able to care for each other, to pray for each other, to lift each other up. And we know that, particularly this past year, there's been a lot of need for that. So thank you for those of us who have been placed in this position to be able to come alongside of staff, the pastors, to be able to share that love and that concern with our family. And Father, we thank you for Joyce. Even as Tony has said, God, you know, we believe that you've already placed people in the body who have these giftings, and all we're doing now today is just recognizing who Joyce is. So thank you for the opportunity that we have today to be able to recognize her and place her in a position officially as being an elder here at Hosanna. And Lord, we know that the love that she's already showing to others and the ministry that she's already giving will continue as she serves in this position. So, Father, we are humbled to be called elders. And thank you that throughout the coming months and years that we will continue to be able to love and to care and to pray for those who are our family here in Hosanna. In your name we pray, amen. Father, we agree. Thank you for elders and youngers and everybody in between. Thank you for Joyce. Thank you for her willingness to stand up and, um, and do on our behalf for you what it is that you've already planted her in her heart to do. We're just so grateful for her and for all the rest of this, this group up here and those who've served in the past and those who are online uh, like April. Thank you for the amount of care and, the, and love that takes place among the people in this congregation. It's your love working out through them. We're grateful for those who have stepped up to the plate and chosen to do so intentionally when asked to do that. And, we pray your blessing upon them. Keep them wise and good and strong and help them through their own uh, moments of stress and weakness and 
fear and illness and all the things that plague the rest of us. And most of all, give them your grace so that they can do on our behalf, on your behalf, what it is you have called them to be and do in this world. As we pray in your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Hello, friends and family on live stream. And I just want to echo, you know, what Tony was saying. I think there are so many things I love about this place. <laughs> but I think one of the things that I truly enjoy is the fact that it's not about one person. It's about all of us working together. We work in teams. We work in groups of people. We work in pairs. It's, it's just a beautiful picture. And I have, I think this year it's 28 years that I've worked here on staff. And I've gotten to do more things than I can even imagine that I've been able to do. But one of the things that is, has been near and dear to me, and Tony mentioned it this morning too, was when Sean uh, wrote the song, Homage. <laughs> oh my word. We were on a staff retreat. A bunch of other staff was on a staff retreat. Sean, I don't even know how many years ago that was. 2007. 2007. We were in a beautiful setting. And Sean, Tony, he's not only a historian, he just remembers stuff like that. It's like, I would have never said that. We were in a beautiful setting, and Sean wanted to write this song. And he asked all of us to be a part of it. And I was like, oh my gosh. When we sang that song this morning, all these memories came up. So thank you, Sean, for allowing all of us on staff that day to, to be a part of that. It's one of the most beautiful songs. It's one of my favorite songs as well. Can you tell, I just love this place. I just love this place. And I love what we did last night at Kid Venture. Kid Venture movie night. Look at these kids. Oh my gosh, they had so much fun. We had so much fun too. All the helpers get to have fun too. They were all social distance in their little pods and they had pizza and ice cream and God bless Sherry Allen. She made a special cookie for them to take home with them. Everybody had such a good time. They were playing trivia at the end. Some of them need a little bit more work with their scripture. I won't say who Miss Emma helped, but she said there were 16 disciples, but. <laughs> She finally figured it out there were 12, but everybody had such a good time. So thank you, Kelly Wenzel, our children's director, for putting all of that together for the kids to enjoy. It's been, it's been hard for our kids, you know, not being able to be here. Yes, we had Rob and Ray Ella join us and get as guests watching the movie with us, so it was a fun night. Also, um, tomorrow night, questions group meets. If you want to join questions group, Contact Tony at Tony at HosannaLidditz.org. A couple weeks ago, I was feeling a nudge by God that since we have been so isolated and so we're here together, but the rest of our family's online, and it just, it's been hard. And I talked to a lot of people, and a lot of people are saying it's just, they miss seeing our Hosanna family and friends. So I decided to bring back the virtual foyer when the pandemic started and we were in lockdown, we did it every week. While we're doing the virtual foyer just once a month, so that's gonna be coming up again on Wednesday, March 10th. 
And it was just a good time. We laughed together, we prayed together, we told stories together that the first time we did it a couple weeks ago. So it's in your bulletin, get all the details about that. But the other thing I felt the nudge of God to do is just to bring back a time of prayer. So we're gonna have another virtual prayer meeting once a month. This one will be on Wednesday, March the 3rd from 6.30 to 7.30. And you might be thinking, well, I, I don't wanna pray out loud. I don't, I don't, you know, you don't have to do that. Just come online on Zoom, join us. All the information will be sent to you in an email. You can just sit there in silence if you want to, and that is prayer as well. But there's been a lot of needs in our congregation and in our community that we can be praying for. And even if it's just another way for all of us to join together, it just would be good to see each other's faces on Zoom without a mask on. I went to talk to somebody. I thought I went to talk to Mike Becker this morning, and sorry, Steve, it was Steve Wilson. I mean, it's hard, you know, when you have the mask on and you can't see people's, you know, whole face. So join us for the virtual prayer meeting, for the virtual foyer. All the information is on the online bulletin on the website. Tony and Joanne are going to bring us the message in just a minute after this video. afternoon and Jesus is dead. His brutalized body hanging without life on a cross dropped into a hole in the dirt. His executioners had dug the holes, prepared the place, and done their job with ruthless efficiency. This wasn't how it was supposed to be. The hope of mankind overcome by powers of hell by the shadow of a grave. once knew what it was like to rule and reign on the earth. We were made to live in the light, in relationship, in purpose. We were made for more than what we've come to accept as normal. Ever since the garden, Satan and his kingdom have been tightening their grip. Darkness has ruled evil, chaos, suffering, hopelessness. We've been enslaved and crippled by the holes the enemy has been digging for us too. Instead of killing the Messiah, the cross became a catalyst for salvation. The hole that was dug to hold an instrument of shame and death was instead filled with an instrument to bring healing and new life. That's the way God is. Nothing is impossible with him. He's always restoring, always renewing, always able to take what was meant for evil and turn it for good, to take our graves and turn them into gardens. Why? because he never gave up on his plan. He has never given up on us. He knows what we don't, that you can't have resurrection life without death, Jesus. He died so we can have lives of purpose and power over the grave. He is not dead, he is alive. And because he lives, we can live again. Yes, God knows what we don't. You can't have resurrection with resurrection life without death. 
Jesus died our death so that we can live his life. Because he rose from his grave, we can rise from ours. Not only at the end of our earthly lives, as wonderful as that will be, but right now on earth, we can come alive in Christ. And we can walk out of our tombs of sin and death with Christ. And through Christ, we can experience those graves being transformed into gardens as our lives and our world are transformed from glory to glory. Yes, indeed, as the video proclaimed, because Jesus lives, we can live again. See, life is always a miraculous gift from God. God is the life-giving creator and God gives life. Yeah, both when we're born the first time physically as babies, but that first time we're born, we're born physically eventually to die. But when we're born spiritually, we're given life never to die again. The first time we're born, we don't have any choice about it. But the second birth requires our choice. It, re it requires our ongoing participation. You know the story, wow. How one night Nicodemus, a Pharisee and member of the Jewish Supreme Court, which is what the Sanhedrin was, a hungry seeker of truth, came to talk to Jesus under cover of darkness. Nicodemus began by affirming his belief that Jesus had come from God because nobody could perform the miraculous signs that Jesus did any other way. And Jesus replied like this. He said, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born, Jesus answered. Flesh gives birth to flesh but spirit gives birth to spirit. So Nicodemus learned that like physical birth, there is a moment when spiritual birth happens. And yet Jesus is implying that like physical life, spiritual life is also an ongoing process that babies are born, yes, in a moment, and then they continue to grow. And the same happens when we're born again spiritually. We're born in a moment, and yet there's a process of growth and transformation to follow. Nicodemus experienced this process himself. Um, do you know that he's only mentioned three times in the scriptures, and all those three times are in the Gospel of John? We just saw the first time that Nicodemus appears when he is questioning and he's confused. But the second time we see him, Nicodemus is different. He's not hiding under darkness from the other Pharisees. He's actually defending Jesus to them. They were in a meeting of the Sanhedrin. They had ordered Jesus arrest. And Nicodemus speaks up in the crowd and he says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? The other Pharisees mocked him. But for the moment, they said, are you a Galilean too? But for the moment, Jesus was safe. Something's happening inside Nicodemus. And through his choices, through his outward actions, his behavior, 
we can see his ongoing process of coming alive spiritually. Now, the exact moment when he's born again is not revealed to us. We don't know that. Just like no one knows exactly when Jesus was raised from the dead or how the resurrection happened. But that Nicodemus was born again is obvious because of what he's doing the last time he appears in the scriptures. This is in John 19. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, which is incredible in and of itself. People didn't ask for the bodies of crucified criminals, but Joseph of Arimathea did. He went to Pontius Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Usually the bodies were just discarded. Now Joseph, it goes on, the scripture goes on. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. What we're hoping to, as we start this message this week is that you'll see that there's a process. Nicodemus has been changing before our eyes. He moved from fear in the night to boldness in broad daylight. He moved from not wanting to be seen with Jesus to defending him to actually defying the power of the Sanhedrin by publicly identifying himself as a follower of Jesus in broad daylight and then making himself ritually unclean by preparing, by touching his dead body, preparing, preparing and burying his Lord's dead body. And he did all this knowing that he too could be killed just like Jesus. And yet something had happened in him and he was willing to die in order to truly live. Indeed. By the way, Joanne, there are some people in here concerned that you come out of the cold outside and put <laughs> <laughs> these lovely Zoom backgrounds that we have these days. Well, it's sort of been our life lately, and I'm trying to hide my messy kitchen with all the mess from my new dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nicodemus' story, his choices illustrate, that's a fascinating pattern among the three, there are three stories in the Gospels where Jesus raises someone from physical death. Lazarus, we talked about him a couple times, I did last week. There's the daughter of Jairus, and there's the son of a widow of Nain. Isn't it interesting? These people don't even have names in the story. They were not the highly important people for the most part, uh, the, these other two. But uh, in all three of these cases, Jesus doesn't say any magic words. There's no like, abracadabra, come back to life. He doesn't actually say any words at all for the raising of them. They simply come back to life by his choice, his power. Life is given to them through no action, no decision of their own. What he says is pretty much the same thing each time. Get up! <laughs> come forth! That's the decision time. That's when they had to choose. Yeah. And of course they would choose life, right? I said last week it would be odd, it would be absurd even if Lazarus 
had come to life there in his tomb and had heard Jesus then calling him, hey, Lazarus, come out of your tomb, if he had just chosen to lay there instead of walking out or running out to be fully alive again, at least for a while. Well, the same is true of us in a spiritual sense. When Christ raises us from spiritual death, we get to choose, like Nicodemus, like they did, to stay in our tombs or to get out of them and follow him. It's sort of like choosing to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> when you're, what kind of alarm do you have? Does it ring, chirp, or does it play god-awful loud music? Uh, god bless whoever it was that invented the snooze button. Or I have it on my phone. Yes, I love that thing. Another nine minutes or seven minutes or whatever it is. And some people, we know who we are, hit the button again and again and again preferring to stay asleep or just lay in bed rather than getting up and living the day. And of course, for, for many of us, fully awake doesn't happen until the glorious, rejuvenating power of caffeine enters our bodies. <laughs> My joke is in the morning, the rest of you like your caffeine hot, I like mine cold. It's the same addiction, okay? <laughs> and some people, more seriously now, and again, we know who we are have been doing the same thing spiritually for a long, long time. We've been saying no thanks, or ask me later. We've been hitting the snooze when offered resurrection life, choosing to stay in our tombs. We talked about that last week at some length, last Sundays. Why do we stay dead? Why would we? Well, this week we flipped the conversation a little bit. What happens? What happens if we decide we're not going to stay dead anymore when we hear Jesus calling us to get up and come forth? What happens when we walk out of our grave? You know the answer is life. We come truly alive. And that has all sorts of awesome implications for our inner life, for our relationship life, for what we do, like we were talking about with the elders earlier, what we do outwardly in this sleepy, deadly world that needs more of us to come alive. Joanne, that's your cue. Oh. There she is. Well, well, this week we're looking simply at the radical transformation that happens in the moment of coming alive in Christ. Next week, we'll explore the process of what it means practically to stay alive in Christ. Um, but we're going to highlight the same scripture this week and next, which is Colossians 3. We'll add other scriptures, of course. We can't help ourselves. But Colossians 3 is the key. So let's start this week with the first verse. Paul writes in Colossians 3.1, If then you've been raised with Christ, and that's how he starts. If then you've been raised with Christ, literally, the text says, since you're already alive from the dead in Christ. It's the idea of if you've been raised with Christ and you have been, then what's not true of you? Well, what's true of us is infinitely more than we could ever describe in a thousand sermons. But here are a few realities of your new resurrected life. First, you've been raised with Christ, then you've been transformed. Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old have, has passed away. See, everything has become new. Paul declares that if you've experienced the second birth spiritually, 
You're a new creation living in a new creation. At the moment you gave your old dead self to Christ in faith, you received his resurrected life in exchange. That we got the, really, we got the great end of that bargain, didn't we, of that exchange? Here, take my old dead life. And I'll receive your resurrected life, Jesus. And as, that, as we received his resurrection life, we were radically changed. What Paul's saying is we were recreated through his life-giving spirit. And as a result, your body became God's temple, a temple not made with human hands. In that moment, the innermost core of your being was transformed into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy Spirit, you know, the glory of God's presence came to be with you there. This is the imagery of the, um, the, the temple, the, the, the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. There's a structure and you, you pass through many rooms and there are different actions and that happen in each of the rooms. But at the center of the temple was one room, the Holy of Holies. And in that room was the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and the cherubim on top. And one day a year, the high priest would go into that holy of holies and the glory of God would visibly descend down into that room to meet with the high priest. That was only one day a year. Do you see that was physically a representation symbolically of what was to come through the resurrection of Jesus as the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, you know, this Pentecost, that the glory of God's presence came into you, descended into that holy of holies within you, and is there with you not only for one day a year, but forever. See, in that moment, you might look the same on the outside, but deep inside, everything has changed. And then the process of transformation begins to outwork that change from that holy of holies within you, begins to work out into every aspect of your being, every room of your temple. It works out and you're gradually being transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So over time, your mind, your thoughts, your attitudes, your imagination, your heart, emotions, your desires, how you see yourself, how you see others, how you see God, how you see the world, how you speak and listen, even your physical appetites are being realigned according to the image of Christ. And you know what? Over time, you know you're different, don't you? It's a gradual, yes, but as you look back over time, you see I'm not the same as I was. And you know what? Not only you know it, others know it too. Because although they can't see what's happening inside you like Nicodemus, your life is obviously changing because they can see it through your transformed choices and your transformed actions and behavior. Becoming a new creation in Christ 
does not mean that we become perfect. It doesn't mean that we're incapable of sinning anymore. No, but it does mean that we're given a new nature. We're given Christ's nature. And with it comes freedom from the power of sin and death to rule our lives anymore. Indeed, we're transformed. That's one implication. Here's the next one. And for this one, we need poetry. We awaken in Christ's body as Christ awakens our bodies. And my poor hand is Christ. He enters my foot and is infinitely me. We'll just stop there for a moment. A thousand years ago, literally a thousand years ago, a serious lover of Jesus was passionately convinced from his own experience with God that all of us who know Christ could and should experience him directly. In other words, not just know something in our heads, not just go through the motions, not just do the rituals, but actually have an encounter and experience that is transformative, as Joanna was just saying. His name was Simeon. So Simeon wrote some poems about his experiences with God. They sound very contemporary today, depending on the translation. Those poems got him in the hot water at the time. They got him sainted by a later generation. Saint Simeon, the new theologian. He wasn't a theologian, just but... Uh, they thought his stuff was theological. So they recognized, why they get sainted? Because they recognized eventually, like we recognize today, that the gospel truth of what he was saying. And what I just read to you was the beginning of his most famous poem. And it speaks of one of the least appreciated and most powerful implications of coming alive in Christ. What is it? Since we have been raised with Christ, Paul said, Colossians 3.1, then we are one with Christ. And then by extension with the whole Trinity, we are in union with God. This, by the way, has been one of the core messages of Hosanna for decades. It's because it's one of the core messages of the Bible. You can almost imagine Simeon one morning waking up, slowly coming to consciousness, and then experiencing out of the blue this new revelation, something so powerful that he comes immediately awake. We awaken in Christ's body. He's feeling his own body start to come awake, but he realizes that it's Christ's body too. We are one with him. He is in me, and I am in him. And it's so real that Simeon in that moment sees himself in Christ's body and see Christ, sees Christ in his own. His poem continues, I move my hand, and wonderfully my hand becomes Christ, becomes all of him. Here's a little bit of theology in the parentheses. For God is indivisibly whole, seamless in his Godhead. You can't get part of him, in other words. I move my foot. You can lay and see him there lying in bed doing this. I move my foot, and at once he appears like a flash of lightning. And then he asks the question, do my words seem blasphemous? <laughs> His words did seem blasphemous to many then, and sadly, strangely, to many since, who have not paid attention to the many, many passages in the Bible that speak of our union with Christ. You are not quite so startled, I hope. 
this is one of the, as I said, it was one of the central themes here at Hosanna. We share these scriptures with you often. I, I was like trying to, how do I do this? How do I do this in just a couple minutes? Because this isn't a whole message on union. This is just a reminder of what it is. So I went online. I found somebody who just wrapped it all together in one quick paragraph. I won't read all the references to you. You can see them online. But look at this. Believer, these are just some of the passages to talk about how we're united with Christ. Believers are created in Christ and crucified with him, buried with him, baptized into Christ and his death, united with him in his resurrection, which is our point today, seated with him in the heavenly places, Joanne, we'll get to that in a moment. Christ is formed in believers and dwells in our hearts. The church is the body of Christ. We'll get back to that. Christ is in us and we are in him. I just said that. The church is one flesh of Christ. Believers gain Christ and are found in him. Furthermore, in Christ, we are justified, glorified, sanctified, called, made alive, created anew, adopted, and elected. And then the person who wrote, yes, yes. <laughs> the person who wrote that wrote, woo, <laughs> yes. So as I said, Joanne's going to pick up on those in a couple of moments, but it just gives you a quick overview. This is core to what God has done in us. This is the reason that Christ has come for us. We've been saying the last couple of weeks, and I want to repeat it again in case you missed it. The point of Easter Sunday is not merely that Christ rose from the dead. The point is that we can too. We celebrate the first because it's true, but we celebrate the second because that's what really makes the difference in us. That's what causes the transformation. So if this is central to the Bible, and if this is central to our resurrected life in Christ, what should we do? Choice time again. Simeon says what he always said, and what we always say around here. Yeah. Experience it. Don't just believe it, experience it. So he continues his poem. Do my words seem blasphemous to you, remember? Then open your heart to him. And let yourself receive the one who is opening to you so deeply. For if we genuinely love him, we wake up inside Christ's body. Where all our body, all over, every most hidden part of it is realized as joy in him. And he makes us utterly real. We get to be real boys and real girls at last. Utterly alive. No more shadow boxing. No more sleeping through resurrection. No more deathliness. This is the abundance of life that God has promised for all those who are in Christ. I've come that you might have life and might have it to the full. Are you having life to the full? This is the way. This is what God has already done for us and what he invites us into. No matter the deathliness of the world around us, no matter the pain and the shame that we've carried into that relationship with God. As Joanne just said, resurrection life is transformative, and it is healing. Let's finish his poem. And everything that is hurt, everything that seemed to us dark and harsh and shameful, maimed, ugly, irreparably damaged, is in him transformed. And recognize this whole as lovely, as radiant in his sight as he awakens as the beloved in every last part of our body. There's so much that could be unpacked there, all this bodily shame that so many of us carry, all the ways that our bodies and our spirits have been wounded and harmed by others, all the stuff that we bring into this. And he, 
when we are one with him, it's not just a belief in somebody out there. It is a recognition that he is in me, and in me means that all of his healing, resurrected power is at work inside my body, inside my soul, inside my life, inside everything of who I am. Union with Christ is the key to all of it. Simeon puts it in poetic form. Perhaps that's the only way to express in words this glorious mystery, this incredible reality of our union with God in Christ. And when his spirit comes to dwell in us, we come alive in him. And so we are no longer alone. Do you feel alone? When we are one with Christ, we are never, never alone. For God is with us. And as I just said, not out there walking with us through life, not just hanging out in the room, in some corner of the room with us, but actually within us, one with us, united together forever. And that's the truest, deepest presence there is. It's one thing to say God is present. It's another thing to say that there is presence, divine presence dwelling in me. This is what we were made for. Our life is his life, and his life is ours. And yes, that changes everything about life, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So when you come alive in Christ, you are transformed. You are made one spiritually with God, a new crea creation in God. And a third radical, radical change that happens in the moment of our spiritual birth, if then you've been raised with Christ, you've been given a new identity. You know, so many people find their identity in what they do, uh, their job, you know, titles. Tony was talking about titles earlier and how we don't pay much attention to them in at Rosanna, because the titles really, they're, they're helpful in some ways, I guess, but that's not, what our, that's not our identity. Our identity spiritually, our true identity is not found in what we do. It's found in who we are. And for Christians especially, our identity is rooted in whose we are. Now, Tony did mention quite a bit about our new identity, but I just wanna add a bit more because it is so remarkable. In Christ, we're no longer sinners. We're saints, we're holy ones. Um, and we talk about that a lot, don't we? We're not anymore. We can sin. We are saints who can sin, but nonetheless, we are set apart for God's purposes. We are holy in Christ. We're also adopted, chosen children of God. We're unconditionally accepted and cherished by God. And in 1 Peter 2, 9, we hear more. You are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. Talk about not being alone. You talk about belonging. We belong and always will. And notice something very important. Our identity in Christ is not only individual. Yes, we have individual gifts. Yes, you know, our person and the uniqueness of our person matters to God. God created it. But our identity in Christ is not only individual. It's not just me and Jesus. 
It's a shared identity. In Christ, we're joined as one with God, yes, but also we're joined as one with all who have been raised to new life in him. We're members together of the body of Christ. Together, we are Christ's body in this world, each of us gifted and complete in him, and yet none of us is able to do Christ's work in the world alone. Teresa of Avila in the 16th century put it, it is, this is very familiar, but often, you know, we read this and we read it singular as if she's talking to each one of us as individuals. I think she is, but I think the larger point is that she's speaking to all of us together, plural. She says, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth, but yours, all of ours together. Yours are the eyes with which he looks with compassion on this world. Um, can we talk about Facebook? Anyway, yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world, even the ones you might disagree with. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth, but yours, but ours together. And you know what? First John 4.17 brings this home in stunning reality. It says simply, as he is, so are we in this world. Notice it doesn't say as Jesus was on earth when he was human, so are we in this world. No, it doesn't say that. It is very clear, as Jesus is now, so are we in this world. And how is Jesus? He's raised from the dead. He's alive forevermore. He's glorified and living in us right here and now on earth. Listen, even as we are simultaneously seated in heaven with him right now. Ephesians 2, 6, and God raised us up with Christ. Yep. And when that happened, God seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Right now, and this is the mystery, right? Right now, Christ is living within us as individuals, but all of us as his body together. And we are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're sitting in the Trinity with him. That is profound. The church, all believers of all time, unified together in Christ, to embody and reflect him into the world in such a real life-giving way that through us, Christ continues to transform graves into gardens. As God continues to reconcile and restore our world into the garden where he will wipe away all the tears from every eye and where death and mourning and pain have all passed away. It's happening already. It's the process. We're going to talk about that next week. But in Christ, we receive a new identity, with at, which at its essence is the identity of God. Love. God is love. And in Christ, so are we. And what's our purpose here? To become love in this world. So maybe we need name, name tags now. Hello, my name is Love. love. 
you've been raised with Christ and you've been transformed, you become one with God, you have a new identity, and all that means one more wonderful thing, which doesn't need too much explanation. You become secure in Christ. Right. Do you feel secure? I mean, in life? If it seems at first glance the security is rare, and it's an expensive commodity. Many people are trying to sell you security. Life, homeowners, and automobile insurance. And while we're at it, a safe car and a security system for your home, too, if you want. And to keep all your online accounts secure, create a list of 197 different passwords. And you can buy software to keep your password secure, too. And see your doctor and do your exercise and take your vitamins to feel secure against disease, except of course, now we have this virus swirling around, so we keep our distance and we wear a mask, and other people are never entirely safe for us, are they? In ways that go far beyond the spreading of germs, and that's why we have security guards and other protection against people who might use us or abuse us. And then there's the weather and the stock market and the fear of not having enough money. I mean, seriously, if there's anything that people do not fear, feel in life, it's security. I probably just made some of you anxious, right? <laughs> no, seriously, no wonder we're an anxious culture. It's all this stuff around us. And, of course, the advertisements for all this stuff are, are pushing on those fears. But when we come alive in Christ, we find a security in him that lies underneath and sustains us through all those worries of life. Which is why Jesus could say something that would have otherwise sounded silly or absurd. Do not worry about your life. Seriously, it's as blunt as that. It's as encouraging as that. Do not worry about your life. Now, some Christians have misinterpreted him and said, well, what that means is that bad things are never going to happen to followers of Christ. And of course, you know that's not true. That kind of thinking always disappoints us in the end. It makes God look like a promise breaker. Now, Jesus himself experienced some of the worst that life can do. But that's how we knew that we were secure in God's trustworthy love. When we're raised with Christ, we are alive forever. And while we can always choose to go back to sleep, we can always choose to crawl back into our tomb and play dead, we're not mortal anymore. Death has no power over us spiritually. And very little power over us physically, too, if you think about it. I mean, this is what we do. We talk about the funerals. Our bodies die, but we wake up in eternity. And if death cannot defeat us, then nothing else in the world can either. God's love holds us through it all, never lets us go, never lets us down, because his love is persistent and passionate and perpetual. If you want three Ps in a row, it lasts for eternity. It's for real. Nothing you can do. We've said this a number of times here in the, through the years. Nothing you can do will make God love you any less. And the opposite is true. Nothing you can do will make God love you any more. For God's love for you is complete already. Nothing to earn, nothing to fear. Nothing to work for, nothing to deserve. It's astonishingly good. So we are secure because of the love of God. And we are secure in our place in the Father's home. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. Joanne was just talking about it. We are seated with him now. He's prepared the place. And we're already there on a spiritual level. We're already seated with him at the table in, in God's house. Already today. We are already family. We already have our home. 
And that's why we're secure in Christ's body. Because our union with him, as Teresa of Avila was hinting, is also a union with everybody else who is in him. So we now live in communion, which means union with everyone else who is in Christ. We belong. You belong to the body of Christ. You belong here. You belong with us. It's not a physical place. It's this relationship of people who have wakened up because of the resurrected life that God has put in them. And we will always belong. That's the biblical witness too, by the way. Remember those three people Jesus raised from the dead? Lazarus was restored to his sisters. A little girl was given back to her father, Jairus, and the rest of her family. A dead son was raised to take care of his widowed mother. Resurrection is always relational. Yeah. Wow. So coming alive spiritually is about more than trying yet another self-improvement project to change ourselves into someone new. It's about realizing we don't have the power to recreate ourselves, that only God can raise us from death to life. Only God has the power to make us new creations and transform us from the inside out. So as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, to close our service, let's remember Paul's invitation to examine ourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we're gonna pause for a moment and I think at some point the worship team is going to gather. Um, but let's just pause and take a moment now to consider where might you be in this process of coming alive in Christ? You know, are you the same old person you've always been? Or has God made you new? Have you been born a second time into the fullness of spiritual life in Christ? Or do you still feel dead inside, merely trying to keep yourself alive? Are you and yet still confused, as Nicodemus was in the beginning? Are you alive in Christ, but refuse to leave your tomb? Or perhaps you've walked out of your old tomb, but like Lazarus, you need others' help to remove your grave clothes, those old deathly patterns that continue to constrict your new life. Is Christ alive in you, but you're still refusing to live his life fully in the world for some reason? Are you out of your tomb and free? Maybe, and yet still wanting to live more and more and more fully in this resurrection life. Wherever you are this morning, we invite you to just take a moment, notice where you are and invite God to give you the grace that you need to take the next step. We have time together just for a moment of that self-examination. We'll take those questions with you today. Yeah. Where are you in the resurrection journey? What do you need of God right now? What do you bring into God right now? 
I invite you to take out the communion elements. Hopefully you prepared some, and if you don't have them available at home, do this later in the day or when you, when you have a chance. Just participate with us now. Or that you received when you came into the room here, or if you did not, raise your hand and we'll get them to you. These represent for us today our resurrected life, our choice to come alive in Christ and with each other. I invite you to take the bread. If you're using one of these cups, you just peel off that top layer and pull out the... Uh, the wafer. Or whatever you have prepared for the bread. And let's eat it now in recognition of Christ being in you. Perhaps even close your eyes for a moment and then awaken in Christ's body. His body, broken for you. And now take your cup and drink it in recognition of Christ's life flowing through you, His blood in your own spiritual veins. Maybe close your eyes for a moment and open them again to see, to see your life, to see the world with Christ's eyes, with his spirit. get to a moment like this, we must first recognize that we have died and that we have chosen to be one with Christ in his death so we can be united with him in his resurrection. The whole point of it, the whole point of it, the whole point of this year, living resurrection, is to die alive and live. That's my other favorite song that this team does, and it's gospel truth. Let's remind each other, let's sing that together, remind each other of that as we close our service.
go forth this week. Go out and live. Live. Amen. Have a good week. Children of light, hope in the dark.